Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We made it through another week Friday. Goodness, it was cold, cold, cold yesterday. Mr. Jiraiya and myself were out, my manservant, were out working on the fence yesterday and we replaced one of the big railroad ties. Uh, so we had to do that. So it's amazing when you get into things, uh, it just, well, <laughs> they just developed. You just uh, always take us a little bit longer than you were expecting. A lot of comments in the, I, I asked uh, in the chat this morning what you guys wanted to talk about. Since it's Friday, you know that there's a couple things going on here. Mama, do you know what that means? That means this old cat, which is what, coming up on 19 years old, we're going to give her some special love on Friday. So if you, give, if you do a super chat, we'll bring Mama Kitty over here. She'll get to enjoy that as well. So love for her. Also, kind of excited to see and somewhat envious. Uh, it looks like there's some dudes in the chat that are getting ready to, to go out and, and to do wildland fire this year. Now, I'm not sure. It looks like maybe we have some first timers. I've been getting a lot of questions from people because this is the time of year where everything starts spooling up. We're getting a really early start on the fire season. I've been kind of kind of keeping an eye on things in our area out in the forest and the conditions are very dry and it's still in, goodness, is it April, May, whatever it is, awfully, awfully early. And we've already had two fires that the local guys have been responding to um, just east of here. So this is starting really, really early. Could be a catastrophic season. You know, we've re really kind of dodged a bullet the last two or three years. There hasn't been much going on. I haven't been out, uh, I don't think I went out at all last year. I, mean, I think the year before we had a, a little private affair that we did, but this year it could be shaping up. I'll tell you what, I remember a few years ago, it was about, oh, it must have been about 10 years ago or so. It was one of the worst fire seasons in the Pacific Northwest. And they got so desperate for resources that they could no longer get, um, that there wasn't anybody left. It was a little bit, I think, late in the season. A lot of the college kids, that, a lot of college kids come and do this for summer work and that they were gone to go back to school and they were stretched really thin and they got so desperate that they, I don't know where they got my number, but they just called me as a private citizen uh, and ask, would you be able to put together, what equipment do you have? Would you be able to put together um, like a type six truck? <laughs> you know, it, was, it was really getting down to that. And we were kind of scrambling and trying to figure out what we could do. It, it never did manifest, but they were concerned um, if they got, got stretched any thinner that it was gonna come to that. So I always try to stay prepared, even if I'm not phys physically or um, officially involved in it. Because like we had, we, you know, we helped save a, my buddy's house, his dad's house, a couple years ago. We went out there and did that, and, and not to mention our, our own thing. So I'm very keen with the fire season spooling up how uh, to make sure that we're prepared here as well. If you are a brand new firefighter and you're going out, I could answer some basic questions, kind of what to expect, and some things that I would consider uh, after doing it for so many years. Um, I'm going to assume that you're going to go to a big fire. So if you show it to a big fire, like a big type one fire, um, it's, going to, it's, it's going to be amazing. Unless you're the very first people there. I've been on a couple fires where we were actually the first engines on scene where we had to set up the incident command. But generally, typically, especially if you're a new guy, you're going to be plugged in to establish fires. And you're going to show up in the middle of nowhere and there's going to be a virtual tent city there with all sorts of stuff going on. A lot of generators. Could be the National Guard, uh, very common. I see the National Guard at almost all big fires. Uh, you're going to see um, basically a, a little tent city of administration. 
you're going to have your type one crew is going to have your fire team you're going to have trailers there with big printers that are doing real life mapping uh, you're going to have full-time meteorologists that are there. You're going to have radio guys that are sending up. They could be sending up balloons. They could be putting remote towers or repeaters up. There's just a whole bunch of stuff going on. And then you're going to have the, uh, I guess, the commissary, <laughs> for lack of a better word, or supply, uh, which is very, very impressive. You can go there, and about anything that a guy would could possibly need, you're going to have it there, from gloves to PPE, uh, to drip kits, to Mark Series pumps, hose line, tools, and they've got all the good stuff, all the good stuff. If you can get in good with the guy at the, um, at the supply, man, those guys, they know how to hook you up. They really, really do. What I do, what I used to do is that, uh, I, you know, they have kind of a thankless job, and I'm always looking for an advantage. You know, I want, I want my cr crew to be taken care of. I want to have good food. I want to have good tools. I want to have, you know, you got to take care of your guys. And to take care of your guys, you need to have a good relationship with the supply guy. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to get him on your bad side because he can make your life bad or he can make your life very happy with, with cool stuff uh, and easily replace your stuff that you may lose or break, what have you. So what I would always do, if I was up on initial attack or someplace where I was, um, you know, really in the thick of it, I would always take videos or phone videos and take them back to him and share him share those with him, uh, share of the helicopter drops and such, because those guys, you know, they get caught up in the excitement and the buzz of everything, and all the crews are lining up, and all the strike teams go out, and it's very exciting, but they have to stay behind, and they never really know what's going on, uh, so they appreciate that, that sort of thing, so hook those guys up, and they will take care of you. Uh, regarding tents and supplies, don't worry too much about uh, cold weather. It's, it's, it can get down into the 30s in the mountains this time of year, we're supposed to be down into 31 and we're at 2,000 feet. So act accordingly to that. Yes, somebody said you don't need a four season tent. Not typically. A three season tent is good. I would usually get about a 20 degree bag, you know, maybe a 40 degree bag in the middle of summer, but pack a little bit warmer in the spring and in the fall uh, because those cold mountain mornings, you, you could be up, up in Colorado at 10,000 feet fighting fire and it gets super cold up there. So just act according when it comes to that and um, yeah that's it um, not, not, not a whole lot to say on that but uh, well if you have any more questions throw them up there Mr. Overton can funnel those to me and uh, I'll be happy to help you guys get prepared for your first deployment man very exciting it's it's I remember the first time I went I was so so excited I didn't even really know what wildland fire was apart from just what I had read about in books I'd never actually seen one I'd seen the crews when I was out hunting and such patrolling, but it was very, very exciting. So in, enjoy it and uh, make sure you're fit. Don't, don't slack because uh, the hard work you put in now will make your work a whole lot easier. Those days are long and very, very difficult, especially if you're on a hand crew. Goodness, we have a super chat from McFadden. Come on, Mama. You, you come on over. You Come on. Come on. Don't bite me. McFadden wants you to come over and be in the show. You know, she kind of, she never has been a tame cat. C come here. You know, come on. I can't keep, can't keep you off me when I. All right, all right, come here. Should I pick it? I'm afraid if she's going to bite me. Don't, don't bite me. <laughs> don't, don't bite me. I'm trying. She's, she is so comfortable. She doesn't want to, doesn't want to budge. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right, let's, let's do it. Come on. Oh, here we go. 
good goodness, Mama. She's not, not at all happy about that. Mr. McFadden, thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate that. And he says, um, you wouldn't believe how the military has changed over the last five years. I have been hearing that. I've been here just from what we can see from that, yeah, an outsider. Says, I feel like I'm babysitting grown men. Can't wait to get out soon and join uh, the bar pilots. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it's uh, <laughs> leadership, you know, that it's all trickling down uh, from the top. And, you know, I think I used to get a aggravated, you know, when you start watching these these politicians and, you know, the people that are supposedly our elected representatives, whether they be in the House or the Senate, it doesn't matter, right or left, it's all all cut from the same cloth, right? I used to get annoyed and, and think, oh, man, if we could get our guy in there and Oh, those darn Republicans or those darn Democrats. You know, if you're still at that point where you're you're involved in the in the shenanigans and the tomfoolery of uh, what's going on over there, uh, you know, you might just. I, I think it's best just to disconnect from that and just you have to use humor uh, to get through this because they're not serious up there. This is all a theater. I think that is putting being played out for us. Whoever it is that's in charge, we'll call them the adversaries. The adversaries at this point are just at the humiliation point. They just want to put the most inappropriate things. They want to see the Americans, especially the American man, bend the knee to foolishness, this ridiculousness, this woke culture, this rainbow community and global homo and all of that. They want us, they want us to capitulate. They want us to bend the knee and to eat this. I'm not eating it. I'm not paying any. Oh. Oh, you're dug in deep now, huh? Watch what happens if I try to move her. Her claws are dug in. You know, you okay? You gotta fight. You gotta fight for your rights on Friday. All right. I'm sorry, Mr. McFadden. Yeah, get out. Get out. Get around something that uh, that hasn't been contaminated yet. Bar pilots, man, that'd be a cool job. That'd probably be pretty high. It'd be in my top 20 list, for sure, for sure. We have a super chat from Mr. Stubby. Shout out to you, Stubby. Stubby says, for Mama Kitty, my 21-year-old baby kitty passed away yesterday. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. 21. At this point with this old cat, I'm surprised. Every time I come in here, I'm always surprised that she's still, she's still going. Okay. All right. Can I put you down? Can I put you down? Okay. We'll, 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 oh, okay. Yeah, I know. We'll come back to that. Oh, cat, cat here. Also, let me give you a couple secret hacks for the wildland fire for your first time. You're going to get lunches. You're, actually, if you're on the federal fire, you're going to get fed pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. I always enjoyed the meal. One thing I've always thought... And I think the military, from what I've heard, has always been good about this, and the, and the feds are, are pretty good about this as well, is, is you got to take care of your guys. Was it Napoleon said an army marches on its stomach? So you, if guys, guys and girls are working that hard, you got to make sure that they have good food. And I have to say that as far as good food goes and plenty of it, um, the Forest Service does a great job with that. They don't have their own cooks or do their own thing. Uh, they just bring in outside contractors. We're actually Mrs. W is family friends with um, with a woman that they run a business that, that does that, and they do a great job, man. They have a big old trailer, like a big semi trailer, and it has a full on commercial kitchen in there. 
And I'll tell you, the folks that work those kitchens and those fires, they, they work pretty hard. And they're always very friendly and appreciative. And I've, I've had great experiences with them. Food is excellent and all you can eat. If you want two steaks, three steaks, whatever it is they're making, you can have all you want. You can have all the milk and drinks and desserts and, and eat till your heart's content, right? But the trick is, it, that's never a problem. You always have plenty to eat for breakfast and you always have plenty to eat for supper. The lunchtime, lunchtime, I'll tell you what, do yourself a favor. Don't tell anyone I told you this, but grab an extra lunch. Usually, if you're the lowest guy, when I, on my engine, how I ran my engine, is I would have a crew of, of three, there'd be three of us. It would be me, usually a senior firefighter, sometimes another senior in the back seat, or sometimes a junior or, an, or a first-time guy. And the junior guy, I always made sure that he was in charge of taking the, getting the lunches and all that. So I would send him. So you would usually, a crew would send one guy to get all the lunches for the entire squad or strike team or engine, whatever it is that you're doing, grab an extra one. If you're on a big fire and you're going out, that food that they give you is just not quite enough. Uh, and if you're going to eat it, I think the, the workman's worthy of his wage. You know, I don't know if that's legal, if you're supposed to do that, but just when they ask for lunches, just ask for four extra lunch. And then you can divvy that up with the guys. Sometimes there'll be something in there you know, you'll, that you don't like or one of the guys doesn't like, and if you can get a little bit of variety, it just it goes a long ways. It helps. It helps to have that extra, those extra calories for sure. Okay, I'm going to jump into my super chats right here. Goodness, we have a super chat from Mr. Dr. Dr. Prepper. I <laughs> get that right. Thank you, brother. Good to see you here. For Mama Kitty. Mom, mom, or that was last one. Uh, the one fire I worked on was, was one of the, my best experiences. I remember food at the fire camp being amazing. When you work that hard side by side with men from all over, those meals taste like the King's Feast. Yeah, they, abs they absolutely do. I remember one time. Now, uh, it has been known, sometimes we have had to work like a, a double shift, like pull all day and all night. Because where we were at, if we were doing initial attack, it just it, it was so touch and go at that point that you didn't have we didn't have the luxury of pulling off. We might have lost footing or even lost the fire or lost our line. So we would stay on and work all day and continue through the night. It was amazing. The first time that happened to me, we were digging line, we were trying to stop a fire, and we were missed, missed our meal. And our lunches were long gone. This was about eight o'clock at night, and, and there was no chance of us getting back to the uh, to, for for chow. Man, I'll never forget it. I, I think this was the second fire that I was on. This was in Colorado. I'll never forget it. This whole procession of brand new Dodge Ram pickups that looked like that the gov federal government had rented someplace. They were, I mean, they, they were like, almost, they were so new that the stickers were in them, that, that type of new, right? And these guys were driving them through the worst country and scratching them up in the brush. You wouldn't have believed the mileage that they put on those things, the damage they did to those things in two weeks. Unbelievable. But this whole procession of these trucks was heading out towards us, coming in from the black, and they got out and got, dudes started carrying white five-gallon buckets full of food, like big five-gallon buckets. And they looked heavy too. And a guy came over, he's like, here you go, boys. And they set it down. And I popped open that can, and it was full of ribeye steaks, five gallons of hot cooked ribeye steaks. And we opened up another one, and it was five gallons of mashed potatoes and so on and so forth. It was amazing. <laughs> I remember eating that meal so hungry. It makes me hungry right now thinking about it. 
absolutely black from soot and fire and you know digging. We were on hand, I was on a hand crew at that time. I was on an engine, but they needed diggers, so you know you got to you got to be flexible. And I remember just with those black hands, just eating that steak and, and mashed potatoes. We were just scooping it right out of there with our hands. It was absolutely delicious. Yeah, those, those were our great memories. You know, you really know when you love something. Even for me, it was you know always kind of a part-time thing. I was doing it in the summer times. Um, you know, I haven't like been a, a year-round employee, but I would always associate myself with that. Like when I'm an old timer and sitting around with um, with the war band. Uh, in our conquered spaces, sitting in our luxury in our crow's nest, we'll talk about those days that we were wildland firefighting. <laughs> you know, it's kind of how you associate yourself with. If you ever wonder what a man, how he, what was the most important thing in in his life, or what he thought his greatest contribution was, you ask him when he's old, and if he was in the military, you know, most likely it'll be, well, I was a soldier. You know, for me it would be, I was I was a wildland firefighter, uh, and I saw much adventure. Much adventure doing so. But thank you, Dr. Prepper. Yeah, that's, those are delicious meals for sure. We have a super chat from Jezza4300. Shout out to you. Welcome, brother. He says, Grease everyone, $50, and sincere, a sincere thank you can go a long ways with the guys who have a thankless job. Oh, I'm, I see what you're saying. Yeah, taking care of your people. Yeah, taking care of your people. It, it absolutely is. You really, you really, really you, you, you need to do that. That's the most important thing. It's because those people, that hard work that they're doing behind the scenes is what's going to give you success. You, you rely upon them. You're a team. You, you, need, you definitely need one another. I've told this story before. You know, there, we have new people here, so please indulge me. But I like to tell a story about the old logging camps. Talk about the guy you had to take care of. The guy you had to take care of was the old saw filer. Now, before the days of chainsaw and hydraulic and heavy equipment, up here in the Pacific Northwest, men would go up into logging camps and they would stay up there for, for weeks, sometimes months on end. It was, they were just so remote. We didn't have the, you know, just didn't have the number of vehicles and the roads weren't all paved and there just wasn't an expectation. There were just, you know, guys were cool to do that. They didn't need to come back at night and, and be with their families and get on the internet and all that. They lived together as just big, large groups of men up in canvas tents and they lived where they worked. You know, it, it probably, they probably doesn't, wouldn't think it was too romantic. And if they could get the, have the option of driving home and having internet and restaurants and all that, you know, they'd probably look at it very differently. But isn't it true that we always want what we don't have or the grass is always greener? I think that would be a nice thing to do once in a while. That's one thing that I'm, I'm jealous of you guys that are going out to be out two weeks on a fire right now. That sounds pretty good, especially if there was no internet there. That would be, uh, that'd be something I would enjoy a lot. But these logging camps, so also on a side note that's kind of interesting, I know I had a neighbor that worked in these up on Mount, Mount Hood above Estacada back in the old days. And so he told me all the stories and what took place up there and, and how it worked and how it went. He said that way back in the maybe 100 years ago, the logging camps to, to keep the guys uh, up there and from, I guess, deserting or abandoning them, they fed them very good. That was one thing they always did. And they also, I guess they actually brought prostitutes up there from time to time. You know, I, I don't, I haven't verified that that's true, but I believe the guy that told me, he seemed, he was always an honest guy and I, I'm sure that that was probably the case. 
you know, if guys want, want to start leaving and go back to town once they got their paycheck. He told me that in his time, in a small town, uh, guys were still logging up on the site, and they'd be up there for a month or two, and they didn't get paid until they were done. And it didn't matter anyway because they didn't have anything to spend their money on. He said, when they got, those guys got paid, and those, the loggers, even now and then, were a pretty, a pretty hardcore, rowdy bunch of dudes, you know, really, you know, pretty tough guys. And they like to, uh, they like to get after it, no question about it. He told me that when those guys would get their paycheck and the job was over, or the term, whatever they agreed to, they'd come down into town to the bars and they'd cash their check at the bar. Uh, and the cops said it was, the cops would just, tell everyone, lock everything up, <laughs> keep your daughters in, close the doors, uh, and just let them do what they're going to do. They're going to drink, and they're going to shoot guns, and they're going to carouse and, and do what they do, but uh, why bother them? Now, there's nothing to be gained here. So the cops even stayed in, is <laughs> what, what I was told. So to kind of paint that picture, but talk about taking care of a dude. Now, these guys would live up there, and they would show up, and they would probably maybe own their own boots and their own personal equipment or gear. But they didn't have, generally didn't have their own saws and that sort of thing. Th those things were supplied by uh, the logging company because they were quite expensive. They were made usually up and down the West Coast by the Simmons Company was the primarily one. There's the Atkins and the Royal Chinooks. You know, there's a lot of different ones out, out there that are West Coast saws. But to maintain these saws and all these tools, and everything was done by hand, there would be a saw filer, a master saw filer. And he would either have or build himself a little shack, sh shack, usually about a 12 by 16, not very big, pretty small, that was on skids. And they could drag it around and different things, or sometimes they would just erect it right there. And him and an apprentice would work in there, and their whole job was to file crosscut saws. Now, it's quite interesting, if you want to look up something that's kind of very fascinating, is that the design of the crosscut file, saw filing shack, that little 12 by 16 rectangle, had very specific lighting needs. The work is so detailed on, on filing up the points and the, and the rakers and such on these saws that the guy, you have to, when you're doing it, when, you, when you're finally bringing that, that delicate point together on a, on, a file, on a tooth, you have to see the glimmer of light. You have to see the refraction of the flat spot disappear, and that's when you stop filing. It's, it's really that intricate and that, and that detailed. And to do that without electricity, you have to have light. Can you imagine trying to do that in a dark filing shed where you can't see anything? So they would have on the north lights all, all across there, all full of glass, and they would have a light on the top, like a glass sunroof, which was you know really unheard of for structures at that time because they needed that light coming in from two angles uh, so that they could file and point up those saws. It's quite, quite fascinating. They would also have a small wood stove in there and, and usually two big filing vices. And some of those things were massive because they had you know 20 foot saws to cut down the big old growth dug firs and the sequoias and the western red cedars and all that. So they would work in there and that guy was in charge of all the saws. All the saws were unique and individual. You know, they're very expensive uh, and company owned. And this guy would deal them out to the falling crews. They would come and check them out. Well, if you made this guy mad, and usually he was an old time guy, you know, maybe a guy that had been injured, uh, falling, was no longer able to do it. 
a guy that was, you know, advanced in his years, that would be a reward. You know, you'd be able to go in and instead of being out cutting timber in the snow and the cold and the, and the winter, you'd be in that warm shack filing saws. So I would imagine it was quite a coveted position, but you would take care of that guy. It was very common, I was told, uh, that you would give the guy homemade pies, uh, maybe a nice cruiser jacket or, <laughs> or something, or make him something or some home brew or beer or whiskey or gifts or your dessert from your lunch in the hopes that he would give you an extraordinarily sharp saw or a special saw, one that was that cut above the others, so that was just better. And that was the case. Guys believed that to be the case, that there were just special saws, like Excaliburs every once in a while, and guys would, would always prefer those or argue over them. And that was important because if you had a good tool, then you made more money because you were paid by the piece. Paid by the piece, not by the hour. And so if your work didn't get a lot done, you had a dull saw, a misery whip, then you were in trouble. We have a, um, a live chat from our, from our friend member who writes, um, how do I take care of my first pair of wildland firefighting boots? Well, I'll show you. I, got, I was actually just got mine out to get them ready. Now, a couple things. If you have brand new boots, you need to start wearing them right now. Uh, you do not want to get in into a wildland fire with brand new boots trying to break them in. You will be, of all people, a, a most miserable creature, I assure you. I'm, I'm assuming you've got good boots. Uh, the best boots you're going to be able to get for that, you're going to want to have something like this. This is a NYX Hotshot, specifically made for wildland firefighting. What makes it unique? It's got a triple leather shank. Shank is the inside here on the instep here. This, in a lot of boots, is made out of steel. And the reason being is that you, if you were to step on a nail, it protects your foot from anything sharp or abrasive right here. And steel has always been the, always been the case. Not in fire boots. You can't have any steel in them because that steel gets hot. The ground you're walking on is hot, always hot. And your boots get hotter and hotter. I made the mistake on my first fire of going to, to, to it in a pair of Wesco boots that looked like this very much, but they were construction boots with that steel shank. And that steel shank heated up in there and got very, very hot. And it cooked my foot. foot. I'd have to stand in water just to cool my feet down, and then my feet were all wet. It was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. The first thing I did when I got my check was to get make sure that I got a pair of proper boots. Fire boots are going to have, that shank's going to be leather. It's just, I wouldn't know, say, say just as strong, but it's strong enough. It's like triple, triple layers. Also, you're going to have a special fire-rated Vibram sole that won't melt, like a gum rubber or crepe leather. A lot of the, the, the leather rubber will melt, and the boot will immediately be destroyed. Cheaper boots are also not um, stitched right through the sole. You should see the machine that stitches through that thick leather right there. You know, that, that's, it's incredible. It goes all the way through the rubber and all that. You would not want to get your hand in it. It makes your blood run. It, make, it makes you shiver just when you see the guy operating it with his hand so close, turning that around there and stitching that deal. So it's not going to separate. They are glued and stitched, but they use a special glue that's activated with heat, so it will not delaminate if you get into hot, hot terrain. Even furthermore, on the better boots, you're going to have, I said no steel, right? Uh, but there is a little bit, there are screws. So it's going to be all, not only will it be sewn, glued, and screwed, all three, all three together, 
they're so small, they're insignificant, and they're kind of on the outside, and they don't come in contact with your feet. So that has never, never been a problem. So that makes up a fire boot. Fire boot's also going to have uh, usually an eight-inch top. Eight-inch top is about ideal. You're going to gives you ankle support, and you're going to have a triple, a triple tongue. So your your tongue, which is looks quite big when you open it up here, when you fold your boots, you need to train it to fold like this. You see that right there? That's how you fold a work boot tongue. Don't don't do this. You know, try to spread the sides around. You do a, a trifold. Now you've got three layers there. What that does is that when you lace up the boot, now you, when your laces come tight against the German speed lacing here, it gives you protection. That protects you. And, and with this, with the false tongue here, that even gives you four layers. So you got four layers of protection. These boots, these laces are super abrasive, especially when they're covered with soot, gravel, sand, charcoal, and they're working all the time. You're bending and they're working, and these laces will can tend to cut through that leather, and that will destroy your boot. Because when you rebuild this boot, they rebuild everything below the upper. You need to keep the upper in good shape. So that protects your shin, it protects the, the boot, et cetera, et cetera. And having the false tongue in there is four layers of leather. You kick sticks and stuff. So that's, that's really important as well. Uh, anything else unique to a fire boot? Just an overall thicker, heavy-duty boot. The best boots, if you have them built, make sure you insist on this. Have them turn the leather inside out. You, when you look at a piece of leather, when you have the rough side and the smooth side, let me grab a piece for you. If you do it with the rough side out, then you're going to have a very abrasion resistant boot. All right, so here's some leather. Here we have the smooth, and then we have the, the split side, or the rough side. Rough side out. Rough side out. Rough side out like this boot here, is much more abrasion resistant. If you take a sharp knife, you can slice this. And once you slice it, this is skin, remember that. Once you slice it, then it is, um, it's damaged. And it'll, you could never get it back again. It'll, it'll eventually crack there and ruin the leather. Where this is more abrasion resistant. All those little fuzzies, those little furries on that split side, they essentially act like, like your hair does. You know, your hair is essentially armor. I mean, if, you, if, if someone were to come down on you with a blade, you know, within reason, I'm not talking about getting brained, but, you know, in a fight or something sharp, your hair all interacts to protect your head. You know, I, I worked with my dad a lot, and he was, he'd lost his hair when he was young. And we were always, he was, both of us are tall, and when you're tall, you're always banging your head on stuff, right? He always had a, a cut or, you know, he'd never use Band-Aids, but a, a little scab or something on his head where he was constantly bashing into things. And since he didn't have any hair, he would, it would cut his skin. I never, I never had that. I always had hair. And I did the same work and hit my head the same as he did uh, with that hair protection. And the same principle with this. All those little furries and fuzzies on there, they are going to um, lay over. And when you get something abrasive, a sharp rock or something, it's going to, it's going to help protect that. It makes a big, big difference. Once you get your boots, make sure you break them in. The best thing you can use is isopropyl alcohol. 
get the 90%, 93% isopropyl alcohol. Put these things on with your thick socks and get good socks, 100% wool. Insist on that. Get the best socks you can afford. You're going to need to pay about 20, 20, 25 bucks a pair of, for socks and you're going to need a fresh pair for every day. But you need to take care of your feet. It's one of the most important things that you can do. I cannot emphasize this enough. Get in your boots now. Wear them around as long as you can until the pain is too intense. And when it gets bad, then take that isopropyl alcohol and get a mister and spray it all over that boot. Spray it. That gets in, that's intracellular. That gets into the cellular level of the leather or the skin and it relaxes it. it, it the, the, I guess the cells have to kind of, or is it extravascular? I forget. Release, and it, you can feel them relax. As soon as you spray that on there, you'll feel the whole thing relax and that will, that will make your boot softer and help you to break them in. But once you do that, you know, make sure you get your open-offs on there and do the inside. Don't forget that. Do the inside as well as the outside. It's going to get all over and mess up your socks for the first few times until it really gets baked in into the leather, but go ahead and do it. And also make sure you take some extra laces. And the leather are the best, in my opinion. So I've got a bunch of videos on how to take care of those, how to, do, how to grease them and such. You can go look those up, but that's basically what you need to know about Wildland Boots. We have a, a new member and super chat from Mr. Isaac Barbosa. Shout out to you, brother. Thank you for that. Isaac is 20, 24 years old, three years married to a Tradcon wife, starting life in SoCal. Man, you're a brave man, starting life in Southern California. I have two years of handyman skills and I'm a swimming pool technician. How should I move to a place similar to yours with limited funds? Well, that's an interesting problem because swimming pool technician, I would imagine that that is a big business down in California, assuming there's a lot of people that have pools down there. I, I never realize it. You don't realize until you fly over it in an airplane and you look down and you think, oh, goodness, half of California has swimming pools. You know, there's not going to be near as much demand for that sort of thing up here. So what you're going to have to determine, you know, before you make that move, you know, don't kill your golden goose that you have now. You have income coming in. You have a particular trade. You got to figure out how you can leverage that into something else that's going to be more use, maybe more usable. What do I know? You know, maybe the pool business is booming up here. Uh, I guess before I would listen to me, I would call some local installers in the area that you want to work in and see how busy are you guys? Are you hiring? Are you looking for good dudes? What is the, uh, how much are you paying? What, what is the average wage? And then contrast that with what it's going to cost to get a piece of property and then you can make your decision if that's going to be a trade that's going to work for you. But don't be afraid to call people in your business and ask genuine questions. I find, you know, if someone were to call me that does my line of work, and this, I, actually I do this all the time. People will email me, some, um, sometimes bigger channels, sometimes smaller channels, and, and, you know, just to kind of bounce ideas off one another, or what do you think about this, or can you help me with this problem? We do that quite often, and I'm always very flattered if someone were to call and ask me my opinion on these sorts of things, and I think most guys would be receptive to that. So that's where I would start with. How are you going to pay for all of this, and what is your skill set? If where you want to go, pools are not very popular, and that's not really going to be an option for you, then you can just go ahead and figure out how you're going to get into something different. And, you know, it's, it's not that big of a sacrifice to switch trades. 
you know, you, you have going to have to grind and work for 18 months and probably have to go to school at night a little bit, but you can do it, you know, maybe get into electrical trades or something like that. But you got to get some more information on that limited funds, you know, don't count the cost, count what it's going to cost to do what you want to do. And then just be logical about it. Don't make hope your plan. There's going out on faith. You know, God might be moving upon your heart to get you out of the city. Maybe you're just seeing everything crumble around you and you don't want to put your family or your future family at risk and you want to get into an environment that is, you know, of more like-minded people. Then you've got to count those costs and, and be realistic about it. There's faith, but you also have to do your portion as well. We have a live chat from Our Galaxy. Welcome. Shout out to you, brother. Who says, I'm at work and I just want to say you have taught me much, much new survival skills and equipment needed uh, for my go bag. My go bag is now 2.0 and so much lighter and better. Thanks for these videos and shout outs. Yeah, that's what, that's what I, I ultimately have gotten to myself is things, much fewer things and much lighter. That's you know, kind of what I'm doing here with the shop. I, I've really enjoyed, you, know, you can see behind me, everything is, is pretty austere. I don't have anything on, well, let's not say that. Let's not get carried away. I don't plan on putting anything, having anything on counters. I want the flat surfaces, flat spots in the shop, I want those to be vacant and flat. So when I have a project, I can start it. When I walk in, I have a place to sit things down and to put them where they belong. Less is definitely more. And I am constantly evaluating when I'm opening a, a tool drawer or a cabinet or a box, you know, I'm taking a hard look at things and I'm looking at stuff. Hey, if I haven't used you, you particular item or needed you in some way, you know, in the last year or so, maybe you not be, don't need to be in my main rotation of equipment of right here where I live and work. Maybe you will be useful in the future for something. Obviously, that's why I keep it. <coughs> but you don't need to be in my primary primary tool drawer. So, you know, and that's kind of the advanced stage of when you start once once you get your shop or your work area established. You know, and that's that, that really is not going to be able to take place until the two or three year mark when you've really had enough time, maybe 5 years to kind of go through all the things you do. You've done a little bit of fabricating, you did some welding, you did some woodworking, you know, whatever, some painting car auto work, repairing tractors, you're going to kind of know what you had need of in your work area, in your shop, and then you can di dictate it. I kind of look at, there's two levels. In my main work area, that's only things that are going to be there are going to be the things that I touch daily or regularly that I really, really need. And, and just because a drawer is empty doesn't mean you need to stuff it full of stuff. You know, it's okay just to have a few things in there. This drawer is for screwdrivers. Well, there's only four screwdrivers in there. Well, that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to have 50, right? Just have the ones that you need. And then the, there also, but there also needs to be a portion of your shop where you have kind of the overstock or the things that you get to once in a while. How many times are you, do you need to collapse struts? You know, so your spring pullers and power steering pullers and you know, the oddball things like that. Maybe even your acetylene torch. You know, you don't get to that stuff very often but you're going to want to have it. So when you're setting up, make sure you just have those kind of that, that, that what I have now and need now versus what I will need. 
Same way with those kits. Mine are the same way. And what's really forced me uh, to get smaller is to get smaller packs. Like, I have a guy that I moto with that has a great big pack. And I warned him. I said, you know, he's asking, like, if you get a big pack, you're going to fill it up. Pretty soon, now you're going to be carrying 18, 20 pounds around on you of things you probably don't need. I get a small pack, nine liter pack, and then that forces me to be clever and responsible with weight and really only choose the things that I want. And then I have a small pack. It doesn't, it, I don't have the choice of overloading it. But thank you, brother. Outer Galaxy, I sure appreciate that. And we have a, uh, we have a chat from Margaret Christian. Shout out to you. She, Margaret's been with us for a month. If things collapsed and there was no National Forest Service, what would happen? That's a very good question. What would I do? <laughs> well, yeah, there would be an, if the Forest Service collapsed, let's, let's paint out that scenario and try to war game this, what would happen? Let's say we woke up one day and there's no longer any oversight. We have this incredible resource to the right of us, or, or to, the, to the north of us, of the very best building material, framing material, construction material in the world, and millions and millions of acres of it, untouched. That has a lot of value, right? Wouldn't you think? Um, I would imagine that it'd be very interesting. It would all depend on who rose up. It, it would be kind of a land grab. There would be a grab for resources, I would think. You would have the general public that would immediately start using it. People in the valley are now going to start going, they're going to go to the, probably the closest areas, unless the community could get, to, I'd like to think that the community could get together, have a meeting, um, bring in the people who know how to manage forest and know how to manage uh, woodlots. Uh, and that's going to be your local loggers. These guys are professionals. A lot of these guys here are multi-generational around here. They know how to protect. They know how to manage. They're the best people suited for this. We would, we would want everyone to be on the same page, I think. There would have to be some sort of oversight because you, you didn't want to have just completely deforest everything. You know, the quality of life for people is important. And the natural thing when people are stressed and maybe don't have access to resources is you're going to go right outside of town and you're going to start cutting the closest tree to you. So it's the easiest, the least amount of effort for firewood. Because if the Forest Service is gone, I can assume that we're probably on our own. So you don't necessarily want that. You don't want to, your area, your forest, to turn into what Portland did at the turn of the century, into Stumptown, where all you could see for miles was stumps because they cut everything down. So I would like to think um, that I would like to see the local people benefit from the resource. If that's what you have in your backyard, um, as everything splits up and goes downhill, I would see that as our resource here, or the people here, and that the whole community would need to benefit from it. So it would make sense to put effort and resources into the local sawmill um, and build that economy and, and make sure that that industry keeps going and we just sell direct, maybe. People come up or we barter or trade for things that we don't have in other areas. Um, but 
I would imagine, you know, there could be a fight for resources as well. I mean, who knows? Some sort of a, a war band warlord could rise up and say, this forest is now mine and, and I, will, I, I will be, uh, th this is my group of armed men and, and we're going to be uh, taking over this resources source and, um, and capitalizing on it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of crazy to think about, doesn't it? But I would, I would hope that we would, could put the, the best capable people in charge of what our plan should be and uh, what our resources are and how we could benefit as a community with this new resource. Be fun, it'd be fun to figure out, wouldn't it? We have a super chat from Mr. Noah Cloud. Shout out to you. Noah writes, my dad was a faller and log truck driver at a remote logging camps in the 90s up here in southeast Alaska. Wild times. Yeah, I would imagine, especially up there in Alaska. Remote logging camps. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, you know, we may be getting back to some of that. Um, we may be getting back to some of that. Look at the unemployment. Look at these people. They're losing their jobs. We're hearing about it every single day. And these are not the type of people, a lot of these are not the type of people that are multifaceted, that are going to be very resilient or just bounce back and find something different like ProHost got the ability to do. You know, they, many of them went to college, you know, in a different time, right out of college into the corporate world and are doing their thing. And now, can you imagine waking up at 48, 50, 52 with your whole, maybe you've got a divorce or two under your belt and so you've been ruined financially and now your job or maybe your whole industry has just evaporated and you don't have any skills and you're not as young as you used to be. I mean, that's a, that's a scary, pretty scary thing. It's going to be much worse for women, much, much worse for women. We could see something like this coming in, these logging camps. We could see, you know, just like the, um, yeah, one of the downfalls of our country was, was the Roosevelt and the working, you know, the so socialism that came through with the Works Administration, the Works Progress WPA, whatever it was. Heralded in our history as the greatest thing of all times, right? We had men that built all these amazing things, all of our infrastructure, many of our, much of our infrastructure. Timberline Lodge in my area, that was all built by the WPA. It was essentially during the Great Depression, so many men and women were out of work that there was nothing for them to do. It was just everything, the country was not going anywhere. And they developed these programs and put these men and women to work and gave them a purpose and and that's how it all started. I, we could see that happening again. We could see, maybe not that. Maybe, I don't know that people are willing to do that anymore. I, I, I think it's more likely what we're going to see is a universal wage. When there are so many people crying out and so many people unemployed and no longer able to do anything because our whole country and the whole world's been wrecked, then they will cry out and there will probably just be a universal wage. So it'll be, imagine Ready Player One, where you are in your 15-minute city. You get your stipend and your food credits, and you go to your store and stand in line, and, and here we go. Like a uh, technologically advanced version of um, Soviet Russia during the Cold War. It's going to be amazing. We have a, a, a live chat from 451. 451. Isn't it 451? Isn't that the temperature that paper burns? Something like that. I can't super chat, sadly, but I want to know if joint joining a private fire crew is worth it. It can be. It can be. There's some good... I've worked with some good ones, and I've worked with some really bad ones. Maybe 
probably more good than bad. I worked with a particular com company many different on many different fires called uh, Grayback. They were a private timber company, and they uh, seemed to treat their people pretty good. People seemed to be happy there, and uh, they were good folks. Had some good folks. I've not had a problem. So I would say yes. I would say yes. I would do your due diligence. Find out the name of the company. And you know, when people are disgruntled and unhappy, they're very vocal, especially in this community of wildland firefighting. They're going to be very vocal. They're going to be talking on chat or on um, forums and you know probably on Reddit and such. So go dig around a little bit. There's always going to be you know a hater. There's always going to be someone that you know drags a company down that had a bad experience. But if it's isolated and you don't see a, a pattern of it, a whole bunch of it, then you know you it would be worth it to to look into a little bit. But yeah, I would say that I would do that. I think that if that's your foot in the door, then you should do that. Mr. Jeremy Neal, shout out to you on a super chat. Thank you, brother. Jeremy writes, a few months ago, you posted a closet tour video to members. Can you let us know the name of where to buy the dresser you have in that video? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what dresser that is, to be honest with you. It, this was here in the house. I think what it is, if I had to guess, is it's probably, is it California Closet? Cal that company, California Closet Organizers, where they come in and they sell cabinets, and I, I guess it's custom. Um, I think that's what it is. But Mrs. W, there, I have to tell you guys, there, there are a couple of luxuries um, that, well, there are three luxuries that we wanted to incorporate into the new house. I'll share those with a couple of them. Um, Mrs. W's, one of hers, she had two. Uh, she wanted the first th what she, thing she wanted was she wanted two dishwashers. Two dishwashers in the kitchen. Now, we have some friends that have two dishwashers, and I'll tell you that's the best thing in the world because you never have to put dishes in the, up in the cabinets. They're either clean or they're dirty, <laughs> right, right? And so two side-by-side, -side, two dishwashers. She's always wanted that. We've never had a, a kitchen big enough to do that, but since we're designing the kitchen and everything from scratch, then we're, we were able to fit that in. So two dishwashers. The other thing uh, that she has really, really wanted, is she's always wanted a sauna, uh, just like a small single-person sauna. I'm not into it too much. But I said, well, I'll, I'll try it. I'll, I'll maybe try it with you. So maybe we'll just get something small for two people. So she has a little bit, a little spot carved out uh, where we're going to have, uh, she's going to have her small sauna out the master bathroom. My luxury. <laughs> Can anyone guess? My luxury, uh, it, it actually works for both of us, is that we decided rather than having a larger master bedroom, we decided to each have our own individual bathrooms. How cool is that gonna be? So you can go in, so on the bed bedroom, mine's to the left, hers is to the right. I go in, I have my own bathroom in one small room. There's bathroom, shower, and all of my walk-in closet, all like, like, a, like a dressing room type of thing, all in one room. And the best thing is that opens up off to the new studio. So I'll be able to go from the, my bedroom to my own private bathroom, it's just small. <laughs> it's nothing fancy, but it is my own. My own bathroom, and then right over there into, uh, into the new studio shop that's connected to the house. So that's my luxury. I said, I want separate bathrooms. Um, that way we don't have to, are you done? Or who showers first? Or this or that. So that, that's going to be, those are our three 
our three luxuries. Shout out to Jeremy. Thank you, brother. I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you, I will show you when I do the new one. It's going to be very similar to the old one. Uh, whatever we come up with, whether I build it or you know, whatever we find, I'll, I'll share how to do that. But I hope to get the same effect for less money on the, on the cheap, so to speak. So stay tuned for that. I will cover that in detail because a man's dressing room is an important thing. I spend a lot of time in there. You know, I, I like to go in there in the morning because that's, you know, that's where I do my best thinking. I think better in the morning. So I'll get up early, have my coffee and time with Mrs. W where it's quiet, you know, but I'll either sit and read or answer some emails. And then, you know, it's 6, 30, 7 o'clock. Usually I want to go in and start getting ready. That's kind of what I'm thinking about my day and what I'm going to trying to accomplish. What tools, what equipment do I need? Do I have the things I need to do what I want to do that day? I spend a lot of that time in that morning, that hour of getting ready, just thinking about those things and having a place where I can do it and can be in there for half hour, 45 minutes and not have to inconvenience Mrs. W. I thought was a good idea. So that's the plan. That's the plan. Mr. Dr. Prepper, shout out to you, brother. Thank you. Who writes, what is the best brand of files you have found? The best brand, sadly, is no longer made uh, in America. Uh, the best brand is, it's not so much the brand as where they're made. Swiss files are the best. You're going to pay more money for that, but any file you're going to get from Switzerland, there is no such thing as poor quality when it comes to Swiss, as far as I'm, I've, I've, I've never heard of it or seen it. If, it's, if it comes out of Switzerland, it's su super skookum. Uh, next to that, and what we used heavily, uh, and what the Forest Service was using in the crosscut filing class that I attended in Montana was files made in Portugal. And those are really, really good files. And these are guys that file for a living, and they'll, they, they go through multiple files a day, and they use both Swiss files as well as Portuguese. And they said that the Portuguese files are really good. So that's all you need to know. So just make sure, when I search, if I'm looking for files to buy, I will search... Um, Mill bastard file or the particular file you want made in Portugal, made in Switzerland, and you'll you'll come up with a with a you'll come up with a um, what you need. Yeah, you'll find it. Swiss or Portu Portuguese. Thank you, brother. We have a voice chat. An ethical question. I have an ethical question bothering me. When Europe's gas got shut off, everybody rushed to the forest for firewood to stay warm. I'll bet they did. If the U.S. power grid goes down, do you protect the forests? Could you protect the forests? You know, it, it's going to depend on your geog geography. You know, that, that's a very interesting point. Right here, we, ha we have it. Um, that's a very interesting comment. I'm glad... I'm glad you guys threw, threw this up here. So what happened? So when, when the United States bombed the oh, I'm sorry, when, when, the, when the unknown uh, parties bombed uh, the Russian gas line, everybody rushed for the forest to the forest for firewood to stay warm. And it was a relatively mild winter from what I understand. It could have been much, much worse. So that's interesting. Here we are in modern times. So delicate, so precious is our economy and our ability to protect our family by keeping them warm in wintertime that people resorted to going out to the forest to collect firewood. OK, 
Can you imagine that? Imagine that in our lifetime, in Northern Europe or in modern Europe. Unbelievable. So what would we protect the forests? Yeah, I mean, what's going to, what would, you know, it's kind of fun to think about these things hypothetically. I, I don't know if it's going to fall that quickly. It seems to be a, just a very slow decline where things will just get worse and worse and worse and just slowly kind of drift away and fracture. But let, let's say a situation like that happened, an EMP, right? If you had a natural resource, if you were a people that had a natural resource, would you not protect it if you could? If it was a value, if it was something you could trade, and if it was in, the, if it was the, there was a threat of it being destroyed or consumed, or it could easily be destroyed. You could have, you know, if, if I wanted to, you know, and, and me and a, a thousand other million other people, you know, I could lay waste. I could destroy a forest um, single-handedly. All I have to do is wait for the weather to be right. I know how to determine what the fuel loads are in a forest. I know what a red flag warning condition looks like. I know how to wait for near single digit humidity with a good wind coming out of the west or the east. And all I do is have to go up there, is to go up there um, with a drip torch and throw a couple torches around, maybe a couple drive along and throw a case of flares and you'd have a con conflagration and it would destroy, it would burn. Because the forests have been so poorly managed in our national forests and they're so overgrown and there's such a tremendous fuel load because of mismanagement and, and poor, poor management, no management, that they would be, it, it would all be gone. It would be gone in the twinkling of an eye and uh, you'd be left with the charred remains. This is something an enemy could do and would do. We've had, um, back in the old days in the Bible, there were ways that you, people would get revenge with their, of their neighbors if they, who knows why, but we're told that one common thing that was done is you could salt your neighbor's field. And that was everything. That was his business. That was his ability to care for his family, to feed them, provide an income, keep a roof over, over the head, was his ability to grow his crop. And if a neighbor went in there at night with salt and salted the field, then you wouldn't be able to grow there for maybe a generation. I don't know how long, long time. And it would be economically devastate your family and dev devastate your community if it was done you know, on a larger scale. This was done. We have record of it. This was done just recently. A field was salted in, I think it was in the UK. This was like two weeks ago. A woman that had a plot of land uh, that was using it to feed folks that were disadvantaged, I don't know, homeless, without work, you know, whatever, people that have fallen on a hard time. She was doing a good work there. Someone in the middle of the night came in and salted her field. And now it's, it's good for nothing for a long, long time. And, and they would do the same thing. So as far as answering the question, would you protect your natural resource if you had it, if the community could come together, um, I would say absolutely. And if the geography allowed it, if the geography allowed it, if you could hold off people that wanted it. There's also, you know, I, I think it would also be kind of heartless to, we're all Americans here, right? So maybe if there's enough, if it's big enough, I think it would be reasonable to set aside areas for this is open cutting. Just like God instructed, you know, the men of the old, in the Old Testament, if you own land, he said, don't, don't harvest the corners. Leave the corners for the widows, for the indigent, for the sick, for the poor, for the people that have fallen on hard times. 
so that they have something to eat. Don't be so greedy. You don't need to get every grasp every last kernel of whatever it is you're growing. Don't do the corners. So what that mean, meant is if they would have their fields laid out in squares or rectangles, they were to go around and, and, and to turn wide and leave the corners. And that was for, for the poor. But the in interesting thing is that God also instructed the poor, if you want that, you need to go out there and get it. You need to work for it. I'm not going to have these fine men that are working hard for the harvest to harvest grain and give it to you. It's there. I've made it available to you, but you must stretch forth a hand. So something like that, I think, would be done in the right spirit, and in the spirit of God's people, that if there was someone in need, make sure that there is an opportunity. That It's got to, it's got to be somewhat regulated. People just don't have the respect and they have to be regulated. It's just a simple fact of it. I, I love the libertarian mindset. Don't get me wrong. I love the idea of every man doing what he seems to be right, true freedom. But that tr true freedom is more than most people are going to be able to handle. And they're still going to be operating under the, um, you know, the cats away and the mice will play type of mentality. They don't, they're not going to see it as this is ours now. It needs to be managed taken care of so that we don't destroy it, so we have something to hand down to our, our families. You know, it, it would be difficult. The mindset, the mindset would have to change, and that's not going to change. It would take, you know, well, how long would it take? How, how long would it take for a, a mindset, of a people's mindset to change before God can work with them? Well, how long was, were the children of Israel in bondage, bondage to the Egyptians? 400 years? Is that how long it takes? 400 years? Would it take us 400 years to, to, be, to unlearn capitalism and competition and competition and usury and the, the fiat system that we have and get back to, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think so. It's not going to happen in our generation. We, we're just, we're too in institutionalized. We're too used to a certain thing and inflexible. Um, but we better be more flexible because things are going to be changing. Thank you, brother. Good, good, very good question. We have a comment, a super chat from Vans Island Outdoor. Shout out to you, Vans, who says, Hey, Cody, thank you for all the videos. My dad worked away when I was a kid, and in your video filled a void. Your videos filled a void and taught me skills I needed as a man. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. I really do. Yeah, I, I know. My dad was the same way. I, I love, my, my dad, bless him. I'm not cast in any shade. He did, the best, he, he did the best he knew how to do. He was physically, he was pretty beat up. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and uh, he worked and always provided for the family and did a good job. But yeah, he wasn't—he wasn't there. My, you know, fortunately, I had my grandfather, Mr. Gamer Dave. How you doing, brother? Good to see you, Mr. Gamer Dave. Writes, "Hey, Cody, how's your friend? I just wondered if you should even talk about the possible possible warning dreams, or if they are even something to be concerned about." How's your friend? Just wonder if you should even talk about possible warning dreams. I'm not sure, gamer, what you're asking me. I, who's my friend? How's your friend? Oh, Mama, I'm sorry. I'm not as smart. Come here, Mama. We have not been... Are you sleeping? We have not been giving Mama Kitty her due. Come on, let's, let's get you settled in here. Come on, there we go. Come on. We tip the, tip the camera down a bit. I know, I know. 
I know. I'm the only one that can flip Mama Kitty upside down like this. She doesn't trust anyone else. Yep. Sorry about that. I'm, bu I'm butchering here. Mom is doing good. Thank you, thank you, Gamer Day. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, just wondered if you should even talk about the possible warning dreams or if they are even something to be concerned about. Yeah, I think we should talk about them. Now, the good book gives us a lot of insight as to what we can look for. Now, nobody knows the time or the hour when our Savior will return. Uh, not even the Son, we're told, but only the Father himself knows this. And it's, he, he does this according to his time. But we're not to be left in the dark. There are signs of the times. There are signs and symbols that, are to, to, that need to take place before this can come. And this was a warning to us, people of faith, people of the book, uh, to get ready, to look up. The good book tells us, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And one of the things that will happen is that uh, of dreams and visions, that young men will have um, visions and old men. And what is an old man? It, it, at 54, does that make me an old man? Am I going to have visions or dreams? Young men will have visions. Old man, men will dream dreams. Now, these are going to be prophetic in some way. We don't know what they are, uh, what's going to be in these things, if they're going to be instructions, new insights to God's Word. We just simply don't know. But we certainly want to be the recipients of these things. And I think if this is God-given, if there are new insights being given, um, that, that we should share them amongst the brethren, amongst the beloved. Um, now, the adversary can also work miracles and has his agents, his confederates as well, that can counterfeit everything that God does. So we also need to be very careful. And by how we're careful is we test these dreams according to the scriptures. If one of the beloved comes forward with a dream or a vision that wants to share, you know, maybe even... We have a powerful vision or, or a word from God for the community or for the group, and a man is convinced of this. You know, maybe that's something in the future where we dual stream it. Who knows? But we also have to test them. Is the man a liar? Or is he telling the truth? And we determine this by, is it in harmony with the 66? Is it in harmony with God's word? And then, if that's the case, and we can verify that as a group, then we, will, then we can all be edified by this, right? Boy, Mama's relaxed. Look at that. Head down. You don't see that every day. If it's not, if it's deceit or something to get us off on the wrong track, then, then it will be at odds with God's Word. God's preserved His Word through the ages so that we have a benchmark, so that we're not, we're not, we won't easily chase false doctrines or be led astray by something that is from the adversary. Oh, mama, that is, she is so relaxed. She's like pouring out like water here. Good question. We have um, a hard, super chat from the hard fall. Any advice for a California proho besides leave? Well, I don't know, you know, maybe a cash business. Um, something that you can um, do that's going to, the taxes and the regula regulations are exceedingly high. I wouldn't want to be in an industry that's going to be constantly subjected to that. Um, so, I don't know, maybe just find a way of uh, being ungovernable in California by a small business. Maybe you start an ice cream stand. 
and it's all cash. Maybe you do whatever, whatever that may be. Maybe you're just, you, you get a trailer and you are salvage or you're hauling junk for people or cleaning up garages or just doing general handyman for, for cash, you know, and you can kind of operate underneath the, you know, within the, the, the laws, of course. I wouldn't ever encourage anyone to break the law. I pay my taxes. We've always paid our taxes. The good book tells us, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. But he also tells us to be as harmless as doves and wise as serpents. So act accordingly. You just have to, you know, it, it's possible. Stop complaining about it. You know the situation that you're in. You chose to live there. You know the tyranny you live under. You know the regulatory obligations that you have. And just choose accordingly how you can kind of operate in the margins, on the edges, and uh, take advantage of the great wealth that's still in the state. Okay, Mama. You're drooling. You're falling asleep. Goodness. Shout out to Proho in California. That's a hard road to hoe. Goodness, we have a super chat from Dr. Prepper. Man, we'll get some Owen in here for that. A few of us in the chat are noticing warning dreams. Seems several of us had strange dreams that seem out of character lately. What do you think? If we're in one with, if you were in one with me, and we were trying to escape post-apocalyptic Seattle. I just don't know. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I'm not going to discount it at all. One thing that, now I was young when this happened, but there was a time in the Christian, Christian church that I grew up with, the, the Christian cult, there was a time, according to my dad, that God was working with those people in a pretty powerful way. Now, I, I was born, I think my dad was the, it doesn't matter, I was born into it after the power, I think, had somewhat left or came of age when there really wasn't much going on. But I have no doubt that there was something going on back in the day. And my dad told me it was common, and my grandfather confirmed this as well in God's church, that um, there would be, sometimes there would be a word from the Lord, as people would say, or there would be a, maybe an instruction or an insight for the group corporately, or it could be private, but these were typically an insight for the group corporately that a person would have a dream or a vision and that it would be confirmed by multiple people. Now, I believe this to be 100% true. I did not experience it, but it came from my grandfather, which was the most honest man that I knew, as well as my father, which didn't, wasn't taken to fancy, fantastic things or hyperbole. He, he, spoke, he spoke the truth. And this was understood. This was done. So a person would have this, and uh, during the congregation, if it was appropriate, would stand up um, and relate what it was that they had experienced, and that if this were, in this particular group, that this were to be authentic, an authentic word from God, this was confirmed by two other witnesses. Now, could everyone have conspired, collaborated together to confirm this? There could, you, I guess it's possible, but there was no benefit from it. Not this will be done with a TV evangelist where he'll have ringers in the crowd or people that are come forward to, to give a script to try to work up the crowd to, you know, extricate, to extract money from them. We're not talking about that. There's no benefit corporately of standing up in a, a group like this other than just bringing attention upon yourself. And if it's confirmed by other people that you don't know or haven't woodshedded, then it's probably authentic. So that's all I can say on that. 
so is it po possible amongst the group that we could be seeing these sorts of things, that you guys could be receiving dreams and visions and getting confirmation from one another? It absolutely is. It wouldn't surprise me either. Because as we say, you know, God told, tells us in the good book, whenever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there also in the midst. And we, we, meet, that, we, we meet that criteria here as far as I'm concerned. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the group here is meeting the criteria of meeting together um, to discuss uh, the gospel. It's not our own, the only thing we talk about, but it's, we talk about it the best way in that, that the way how it applies to our day, daily struggles in life. And, and we try to pull out um, examples or instruction or wisdom from our fathers that can help us to get through the things we're getting through today. You know, if that's not the definition of church and the spreading of the gospel, then I don't know what it is. Give me sevens in the chat if we're doing God's work here. Come on now. We're all in this together. We have a member chat from Mr. Ryan Hyatt. Shout out to you, Ryan. He's been with us for 29 months. Goodness. Thank you, brother. Ryan is a fellow, is a follower since the timber framing days. That's been a long time. Cleaning out the shop, I'm putting together a house maintenance bag what are your thoughts on tools? My thoughts on how the house maintenance bag is these are things, when I figure a house maintenance bag, this will be a small kit of tools that I'm going to take inside the house. Maybe it's going to be in the junk drawer. Maybe it's going to be in the closet, the pantry, that um, the missus can grab and do all the things that she needs to do. That, or, or you. Or you can finish your honey-do list. So what are you going to need in there? Off the top of mind, uh, in mine, I'm going to have a flashlight. I'm going to have... Uh, a bag, of, uh, a little box of Band-Aids. If you have kids, have those in there. Uh, I'm going to have a small uh, finish hammer uh, for pounding nails, hanging pictures. Uh, I'm going to have a combination screwdriver, one of those four-in-ones that's going to have uh, the Phillips number one, number two, and then small regular, medium regular. <clears throat> I'm going to have a pair of pliers or Nipex in there, uh, maybe a pair of wire cutters, uh, a tape measure, um, and if you have the means, if you have an extra screw gun, it sure is nice to have an extra screw gun uh, with a bit driver set, maybe a couple of drill bits. So if you buy one of those singles, like a little, you know, little bag, little satchel thing that they come in that a lot of us throw away, perfect kit for your home kit. Take that. There's always a lot more room in there than you need. Drill, charger, bit kit. That will take care of most of your problems. Flashlight, tape measure, hammer, finished nail. Maybe a small screwdriver uh, or a combination screwdriver and also things to fix eyeglasses. I'm going to have uh, the little mini screws, you know, for your eyeglass deals. I'm going to have the little tiny mini, teeny tiny Phillips driver for kids in electronics with toys. You know, that when some Philistine puts a Phillips screw in the back and you need to change the battery and your child is crying because... <laughs> <laughs> and you got to go out to the shop and get one. So that sort of thing. But usually just basic things that I would need. Tape measure is always probably the most used thing in there. That's, that's basically what I have in my kit. Uh, some electrical tape. Maybe some electrical tape. That'll do it. That'll get you going, man. That'll get you going. We have a super chat from Fred Rush MD. Shout out to you. Welcome, brother, who writes, Have been binging your, on your content lately and decided to join last night. Thank you for all the hard work. 
Happy Friday, everywhere. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you for joining and becoming a member. I sure appreciate it. Hey, I got to wrap up here pretty soon here. Well, I'll get the last of the Super Chats, but I have something special coming up. Many of you know my old friend, our old neighbor, um, The Real Martian, right? Jeff, The Real Martian, and his project, his Eden project. Well, Jeff has built that business into a quite impressive business and actually has a, a commercial site now. Uh, where they're manufacturing, not too far from here, as well as multiple employees, and they're shipping these things out. And they, it's amazing how far that they've come. It's amazing what, what those two have, have done. You've seen them in past videos. We've done stuff together. We, we uh, uh, helped Jeff, Jeff get his YouTube channel going uh, back in the day. And he and his lovely wife have invited us uh, to come and see their facility. He said he finally felt that he's in a spot now where it's impressive enough that you guys might be interested. So after the live stream, I think at 3.30 today, we are leaving here, Mrs. W and I, and going down there, and I'm gonna take my camera, and so I'll have a video for you guys, and we'll do, we'll see Jeff's new factory, or his new manufacturing place, which is pretty awesome. So shout out to The Real Martian, and I can't wait to see him. And then he's taking us out to dinner afterwards. So I gotta, I gotta leave a little bit early today, because I, I got a few things to do before we head down there. Thank you, Gamer Dave. Gamer Dave also writes, come on now, several months ago when I was my old self, an addict, I had some understanding of revelations and I dreamt I was swarded, swarded in the chest by a dark angel that I believe was one of the ones from the Euphrates. Well, your spelling is like mine, man. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm, I, that's the way I spell Euphrates too. <laughs> well, I have been hearing about the Euphrates. Now, one of the biblical prophecies that is to be fulfilled in the end days is God tells us in the good book that the Euphrates River will dry up. And that's never happened before. Not in recorded history that I'm aware of. Well, I haven't been over there and verified it, but I'm getting, uh, what I'm hearing back is that the Euphrates indeed is drying up. And I've also seen some shorts and TikTok videos of people that are going to this dry river bank or well, the water's receding. And it's exposing all sorts of antiquities and mysteries and, and, and strange things. There, there are even people claiming that are taking microphones into openings and they're hearing deep, horrible sounds from deep inside the earth. Now, believe none of what you, none of what you hear and half of what you see. Uh, so I don't know about any of that. Um, but it's pretty scary when you watch the videos. Is it possible? I don't know. Until I go over there and see it, I, I can't say for sure. But, you know, Gamer Dave, I'll tell you, just because you were, you know, you were living a life in rebellion to God, uh, and you come to the realization and came to your senses, that don't think you to, you're, you're going to be a second-class citizen, or don't discount that God might be giving you dreams and visions or, or trying to communicate with you in some way. It is oftentimes, you know, when much is forgiven, much is appreciated. God has proven through, through the Bible and through the stories and the, of all the de His dealings with humanity that the folks that were often the most devout to Him were the ones that He forgave the most. So those of us who have really fallen low and have really um, brought shame upon ourselves and our, because of our actions, our selfishness, have brought shame upon our families, um, sometimes when we come 
we wake up and we come to the realization of the, who God is and, and we want to get ourselves right with him, we think that we've got to clean ourselves up first or we need to, we need to show some great act of faith to be counted worthy of him. But he doesn't see it that way. He does not see it that way. He gives us the story, and my favorite story, the one that tells it the best, is the return of the prodigal son. And when that prodigal son had been gone for so long, and when, when he finally decided after years to come home, that story, that, that what took place between that son as he was returning home with all of his excuses and how he was hoping to not even be as a son anymore but just have a job with his dad and his dad would never be able to forgive him for what he had done, that story is given to us because that's the way we feel sometimes, especially those of us have, who have known, have tasted the goodness of God and yet and then fallen away. You know, that happens to all of us. You know, the whole walk is an, as an ebb and flow. It's a difficult walk. But that beautiful story is so encouraging to me because as the, new King, as the King James puts it, yet while, while he was yet a little ways off, his father saw him and ran towards him. Didn't even didn't sit there with his arms crossed. Oh, I see that son of mine who has squandered my wealth with his riotous living, who has brought reproach and shame upon my good name that I've fought so hard to maintain, has embarrassed me publicly in front of my friends. Boy, when he gets here, I'm going to give him an earful. I'm going to make sure that he grovels. I'm going to make sure he's punished. I'm going to make sure he rues the day that he betrayed me, that he turned his back on me. Now this man, this, the, the father, is standing in place of, of God, of the real father. This is an allegory. Who's the prodigal? Who's the son? That's you and me. When you wake up to your senses, God is there not to chastise you or to make you feel worse than you already feel. You've already, you know what you've done. He doesn't need you to beat upon you. He doesn't want to beat upon you. He's just celebrating and ha happy that you're home. He doesn't see it. He, you ask for forgiveness. He, for, he doesn't remember it anymore. He says, I take, when you ask God to forgive you of something, do you know what he does with it? He says, I take it and I throw it into the deepest part of the ocean and I remember it no more. No more. But who remembers it? You do. I do. We do. We remember it, right? We can't, we can't let it go especially if we've really betrayed someone we love or have really been a scoundrel. But God doesn't see it that way. As the prodigal approached, the good book tells us that the father ran to him and they fell upon one another's neck. They fell together in an embrace into a hug. And what did the father do? Did he chastise him? Did he give him a lecture or talking to? He did not. Nope. Snapped his fingers Put the finest robe, put the finest garment the, the family owns on this boy of mine. Put a ring upon his finger, a signet ring. Basically, give him the purse strings. Give him an unlimited credit card that he can go out and do whatever he wants to do. He reestablished him. He established him as an heir, as his, as his natural born son. And that's what God will do to you. So when I hear these things, should I trust that God may be speaking to someone like me, a sinner like me, uh, absolutely, and probably more so than people that claim to be saints or claim to be pious Christians. It is the least of people that God likes to work through. He doesn't want somebody that's been gifted and, and, and 
will take credit for his work. He wants someone that is completely unfit, unworthy, and knows it. And that way when we rise up in the final days and we do great things, and the great things that we will do as God's people, Christ tells us, you know the things that you saw me do? I walked on water. I calmed a storm. I raised the dead. I healed leprosy. I, re I, I, I can cure any disease. You know, calm the heavens, all these things. You see these things that I did? I tell you the truth. That the things that, that my people, that we will do in the final days, it will be even greater than what Jesus did. We will be imbued with this ability through Jesus Christ in His name. Pretty exciting, right? And God, who do you think He's going to use for this work? He's going to use the least of people. People just like Gamer Dave. People just like myself, Lord willing, I hope. People that will understand what our true character is like when we contrast it with that beautiful, perfect character of Christ and see our deficiencies and know that if any goodness comes out of us, uh, that it is not from us, but from Him. And that we are a reflection of goodness. Just like the moon is a reflection of the, we're told, allegedly. The moon is, a ref the moon is plasma, by the way, so we've been told. Back in the day, I don't know what the moon is, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's something different than we're being told, as with a great many other things. Thank you, brother. You know what I'm saying. I'm ranting here. We have a super chat from DTGS. Shout out to you. Welcome, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you for that generosity. I've been... I've been your right. I've I've seen you rightly criticize the LGBT agenda, but where do individuals stand? On two separate occasions, I've seen you mention in a positive way by people I know who are trans. How do I stand on individuals? Meaning, would I would I discriminate against an individual? Would I not want to work with one? Would I not want to be uh, in proximity to one? No, no, absolutely not. You know, we, you know, you, it's not the, it's not the people, those of us that are people of the book, it's not the people that we, we, we have problems with that, that are in opposition to God's law. It, it's we understand that they're deceived. Many of them are deceived. And, and we understand that we're in a fallen world, a world of sin, and things are not perfect. I mean, would you throw away a child that was born without legs? Would you throw away a child of yours, your firstborn son that was born with a se severe mental or physical handicap? Is it the ideal? Is it perfect? No, maybe not. But it's still, they're still humans. They're still people. Right? They're still God's children. Have we not also been in opposition to God? Maybe not in that way. But we're told very clearly that if we're guilty of one breaking one of the commandments, we're guilty of breaking all of them. So I'm not going to say, well, my sin is less sinful than his. his. His is more grievous than mine. We're all guilty. We, we, we all fall under the penalty of paying our own sin, and that penalty of that is death. So we're, not, we're all in the same boat here. There are people, I've been confused about things and come correct. Perhaps they're confused about things. Maybe they will come correct. You know, God has the ability to save all of his children. All they have to do is accept it. So I'm not going to make any blanket statements and say, oh, well, I'm not going to do this with so and this here. I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know the details. If it's God's will for, 
for me to be in proximity to this type of people, to work with this sort of people, to deal with a situation in the war band, in my particular, in my immediate family or extended family, then I hope to do it with grace and understanding and not condemnation. Let us not have any soft soap about, you, 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 I can never get this word, about many roads to God. There are not many roads to God. There is one way. and We know that we have to toe the line. There are things that we just can't compromise on. But as far as condemning other people, not knowing the situation, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I can barely, I have enough hard time getting through the day without myself falling into sin and breaking God's commandments without worrying about other people. Am I just going to accept it? Am I going to water down the Word of God or what I know to be true and right uh, willfully? No, of course not. Of course not. And you, and you know, and you all, everyone knows good and well. You know, there are, there are things that we can say on here and there are things that we, we can't say. That has never been something that I've had to deal with, to be honest with you. I haven't like had it in my face where I've had to, had to make a decision. You know, we have, I don't want to get into personal things here, but you know, we know of someone that's dealing with it right now that, that is involved in a corporate type of job where there are some issues with um, men that are transitioning uh, that are actively going into the, the female bathroom. You know, and, that, and that's the law in Oregon. That's, that's legal. You can do that. And we have a person that's struggling with that right now. That's, that's in her world, and she has to deal with it. And, you know, is seeking counsel. You know, how do I deal with this? I'm, I'm uncomfortable, but I don't, you know. So I don't know what to say. I have not been in that situation. Had I been in that situation, I would probably have more to say on it. But um, I've said really all I can. Yeah, Mr. Rick Gates. Goodness. Shout out to Rick Gates. And shout out to the mods. They work hard out there. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, brothers. And we have a member message from T. Wilson, V. Twin. Shout out to you. Member for three months. Who says, when you get your new place set up, would you ever offer an advanced chainsaw course? It would be an individual skill for a lineman like myself. I am not qualified to offer an advanced chainsaw course, but I could bring people in that do. I would be much more inclined to be taking that course myself, uh, to be honest with you. I've done my own personal logging on my own properties. You know, I'm not unfamiliar with chainsaws and such. Um, I, I would consider myself to be an, an enthusiast amateur logger, but not a professional. Um, but we have a lot of good dudes in this valley that are retired, some still working, um, I, that I could approach that would be able to put on a clinic for us, um, for sure. So that's the way I would see that running. But yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There are some things that I would be comfortable sharing. You know what I know? You know, we could do tool handles and, you know, some of that sort of thing that I like to do that I'm proficient with. But um, we can we'll also plan on bringing in, bringing in experts as well. Good question, though. Thank you. T. Wilson, I sure appreciate that. And Mr. M.K., welcome. M.K. writes, I feel a prayer coming on before the live chat ends. Yeah. No, we, you know, we, we discussed this. I, I decided when we started this, we're not going to pray, pray corporately. That may change. I haven't felt led to do that. Um, I think prayer should be done privately, to be honest. If you guys were here, if there were a small group of us for an open house, uh, to gather around together and pray for one another, that's a very different deal. Um, but cast your pearls not before swine, we're told. And, you know, there are enemies. 
there are enemies in the chat as well. There are people that hate watch and, and such. And I don't want to, um, you know, I, I don't want them to be really, to be any part of that. That's something that's important. It's between you and your God, between you and people you, you care about and know personally and can pray for. But that may change. That may change. God is moving and we will see. We will certainly see. We have, I'll take one more, see, I guess that's it. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to shut it down, gentlemen. I, I have a couple things to get ready. And then uh, at 3.30 today, we will head down and see the real Martian. And I'll get that up to you. You're going to want to see that. It's, it's pretty amazing what Jeff, is, Jeff and family has been able to do. I'm very, very proud of him. I've seen him take that from an idea to fabricating in his barn with uh, chicken all over his welding table. I those of you guys who have been back in the day remember that you know we uh, we've been with Jeff the whole time he's been doing this. Um, even we made him a, remember we made him a welding table. I remember when I, we took the welding table over there, he was welding on the ground, <clears throat> got him up off the ground, and he was up there doing all of his stuff and doing his uh, fabricating and working with different materials and. I, I'm so proud of him, so proud of him, and now he's, now he's doing it big time. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Mr. Gamer Dave has one final thought. Hey, Cody, so sorry there was a second chat from me. Oh, did I miss it? Let me back up a little bit. Sorry, Gamer. Let me back her up here. Oh, yeah. So we'll finish up with this. Gamer, Mr. Dave says... The second after huge change I made to my life, dreamt I was ascending through the clouds. It was fast, but I understand it in my heart to be good. Yeah, quite possible. Quite possible. You know, maybe you got an insight. Um, you imagined it to feel good wouldn't explain I would, the real feeling of that those of us that will remain when Christ comes of finally realizing as, as we see him coming to receive his reward with his glory, you know what the coming is going to look like, right? We're told very clearly. It's, it says in the good book that as, the, as the, the lightning will flashes across the sky from the east to the west, meaning the entire surface of the earth, whether it be round or flat, whatever you believe, Imagine that the lightning from the east to the west, uh, just an incredible lightning show, like nothing you've ever seen before. And a shout, a shout from the archangel, a shout that will just shake everyone to their foundations and everyone will, will know that a harbinger is coming, something is coming. And we will see the Son of Man ascending from the kingdom, just like he left in return order uh, with his conquering angels uh, to claim his own. And then the sea will give up their dead, and the dead that were buried, the earth will give up its dead, and those that have remained will be caught up together with them and meet our Lord in the air and forever be with Him. You know, the idea of ascending through the clouds or, or going up, and, and at that moment where you realize that all of your cares and worries and troubles of this earth have all, are all over and done. That your reward that you've struggled for and fought for so hard at such great cost is finally here. And that you never have to worry about sickness or fear or getting old or being crippled or handicapped or whatever, short, whatever it is that bothers you. And that you'll be forever 
in peace and, and enjoy with the Lord. That, that realization, that moment you realize when you're looking down and see yourself ex- exiting this realm, this world of sin, um, I would imagine would go beyond the inkling that this might be a good thing. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what that means, brother. I don't know what that means, but um, just pray for interpretation. Ask God for inter- interpretation. There's precedent for this. There are many examples of the patriarchs in the good book who had a vision or a dream and that they couldn't understand it. Pharaoh was a perfect example of the story of Pharaoh and Joseph. Pharaoh had the dream of the seven years of plenty and the seven years of need. And it was very clear to him, the story of the cows and the skinny and the fat, but he didn't know what it meant and it plagued him. He realized this was more than a dream, but it was important as leader of the country at that time, he was an important man and this plagued him and he couldn't get an answer, but God provided an answer through him through his servant Joseph. So it could be that he would work the same way that he's worked in the past. You know, he says, I am the same, I changeth not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God talking about himself, the Father. So if he worked with men a particular way in the past, then he can work with men the same way in the future. And it may be that we interpret one another's dreams, or maybe someone that you know or don't know will come to you with that interpretation, and you will both understand it. So we just don't know. We don't know what that's going to look like. But it's possible. Look for it. It'll be seen and realized by people that have their eyes on the prize, and that is on Christ, looking upward, watching the signs, and not compromising. (coughs) And that's why we are here, beloved. All right, thank you. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We sure do appreciate. We appreciate all of the work on the back end by the middlemen and our friend Overton. All of the generous super chats, those of you who paid for this with your time, we appreciate that as well. Don't forget, it's Friday. The Sabbath starts this evening. I would encourage you, if you haven't been keeping the Sabbath, if you're single, married, whatever, I would encourage you to look into it. Sunset starts tonight, and take 24 hours and just don't do any work. Gather your family around, do what you like, spend time in reading, spend some time in prayer. There's always a, it's always a special time to prayer. pray on Sabbath. God seems to be particularly attentive. He's told us in the good book that the Sabbath day, he's sanctified it, he's blessed it, he's set, that means he's set it aside, he's made it special. Just like a day is special for your wife, an anniversary, maybe her birthday, this is a day that's special to God. And he's very attentive to his children, and it's a good time to bring your petitions. It's a very, very good time to bring your confessions as well, if that's where you're at and uh, you'd like to get right. And you can do that. You can do that tonight. Lord knows I need to do it weekly. Lord knows. Well, may God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We pray for you constantly, and we'll see you guys. We'll see you on the next video.